you better find the music. This is not the same without the music. At, a, at about this point, I expect the music to be dropping. That's the most annoying sound I've ever heard you make. Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega, Alabama. I'm Heath Walton, associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega, Alabama. So let's talk about a, a recap. I had threatened to retire, and I realized like we could do the whole the Chicago Bulls, welcome back, Michael Jordan, except I'm not nearly that cool or that valuable a player. So, so welcome back to the Wizards. I don't even think I'm that cool, but sure. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I threatened to retire uh, the last year, year and a half since we posted. Uh, I think we've threatened to retire many things. Yeah. I, hadn't even, I don't even think it's been a year. I think we posted last March, March 2022. So we didn't even take a year off. But anyway, yeah. um, I think since the date, since the timestamp of our last episode, I had back surgery, a long recovery. Yep. And then we went to Africa. We did. Which is pretty awesome. We also went to California. Did we report back after California? Mm, I don't think so. So we've been to California, to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, a whole wide range of ministry ups and downs, decisions made, changes that have come. That yeah, have been I, great. I, don't, I don't think we've recorded since we um, officially established a plurality of elders no. here at the church. So that was um, so. a big move for us uh, in the life of our church is moving to... Uh, a more biblical polity uh, within our First Baptist life, and um, yeah, that that's been really cool. Um, watching that take place, we started out as a prayer group meeting once a week, a group of men praying for our church. Mm-hmm. Then we started to study some books together and saw that need for plurality of elders uh, as we walked through um, those books and studied the scriptures and. Uh, I sort of had a maybe a secret plan all along that that might be what that group turned into, um, and then taught through the pastoral epistles on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, and um, moved toward a plurality of elders, and it's it's been really good so far. Yeah, so. It's, it's good to see congregational polity at work, uh, affirming those elders um, without much of a hitch at all. You know, so they yeah. they saw that those men had already possessed those uh, qualities characteristics they. Since they're calling as well, and so uh, here we are now, yeah, meeting once a week currently. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what um, what's what's one thing that stuck out to you from? I guess let's back all the way up to California. What's one thing that stuck out to oh. you about the SBC? Uh, in and Out Burger. Um, <laughs> that that's I mean, that's, that's fair. I didn't. It was I, delicious. I, yes, that's that's true. I um, wish we had those here. There's a lot of gluten-free restaurants that my wife can uh, partake in their food. That was good. Um, we need Jeff Smith on this podcast. Top Gun was great, <laughs> but I guess we should cover the convention some. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound horrible. I don't mean it to. It didn't go as poorly as I thought it might. Uh, yet there were the highs and lows of the convention as usual. Um, I feel like maybe this is maybe this is a bad evaluation. I feel like my biggest takeaway was that the convention itself 
went fairly well. Of course, there's always some contentious issues. We dealt with some big subjects. I think we handled a lot of the big decisions we had to make pretty well. Um, I think we were pretty united where we needed to be united. Mm-hmm. I think there's still, of course, some division um, denominationally for us, but I think we're okay. I, it doesn't feel like the building's on fire anymore, at least not like it did uh, maybe a couple years ago. Um, I think some of the more alarming things for me were things that went on not in the convention itself, but in some of the surrounding meetings, some of the yeah. things I was hearing back from um, some of those other meetings that were going on um, you know, around the convention. Uh, were a little alarming. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to be an alarmist, but I think that I think that complementarianism and a biblical view of complementarianism, especially in the pastorate, is going to be a big issue and going to continue to be a big issue for a while. I don't think that we as Southern Baptists are united on that, and no. I think we've let the you know we like to talk about the big tent, and there's room for all of us under the big tent. I think we've let it get a little too big as far as complementarianism mm-hmm. goes, in that we have. There are churches who have stepped outside our already very broad statement of faith uh, on that matter. And and so I have a feeling that that's going to have to be addressed at, at some point pretty decisively. Um, I, I think, honestly, in in some very key matters, the convention has spoken. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the way of biblical faithfulness in, in many of those, the convention has spoken like... It doesn't seem that the average churchgoer who goes as a messenger or the average pastor who goes as a messenger, they're, they're not okay with any uh, drifting. Um, now, again, how that plays out, um, it's going to be interesting, but you know, we're always going to err on the side of biblical faithfulness in terms of complementarianism, and, and that's just where we will stand. So, yeah. But I, you know, all in all, yeah, I feel frustrated about some things. I think, I think we got a pretty good feel for what some of the bigger issues are gonna be. But I, I think, like you, it didn't go as badly as badly as I thought, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt like there were some good takeaways. One interesting conversation that I had uh, with a fellow pastor, actually from our association, who we met uh, there, um, was about unity despite theological differences, mm-hmm. based on um, a. How do we say this? Based on a strong view of the scriptures and the inerrancy of the scriptures. Yeah. That there are some issues, third tier issues, so to speak, mm-hmm. that have in the past divided guys like us. And, and now we felt like we were on the same team because we were united about the most important issues. And, and uh, you know, tell me what you think. But I, I think, as you were saying, I think... Um, I'm confusing myself. What do you think? <laughs> I think that that that's a general a general movement of the convention right now is that yeah. there's unity around the most critical issues. Some of those issues came to the fore um, mm-hmm. as far as what we believed about biblical inerrancy and what we believed about biblical sufficiency. I think we were forced to deal with some of those issues as a convention. They became very public. And, and I think while there are still factions and, and certainly some division that you have watched people unite around a similar view of some of those issues so that we're still going to have some things to deal with. But some of the things that felt like big sources of division maybe don't feel like such big sources of division anymore. One 
I guess one thing that was a little unnerving from the convention for me was the uh, the call to explore what pastor means. Yeah. Uh, I think that was probably the most unnerving thing that, that I paid attention to mm. uh, was the the call to explore what a pastor means. And, and we had men stand up saying, no, if we begin to explore every little phrasing and wording, we're going to come out with a completely different doctor, uh, doctrine. That is not it. Document that was mm-hmm. intended. Um, and so I think that that's where you say, I think this is going to be an issue in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the one point that I sort of hung my head about. Um, but there again, um, but there seemed to be unity in the hall, right? And guys that you would have expected to be on on in different camps as far as SBC life, um, and yet were united on that big an issue. Um, you can take, for example, Mike Stone and uh, Al Moeller. Moeller, who gave one of the best speeches I've heard from the floor in a while, uh, ever since the slow clap incident in Birmingham. Yes. <laughs> um, he, he gave a great speech, which I think you're referencing, about yeah. um, I, I, that, that we have a statement of faith already. Southern Baptists mean what we meant. Uh, when we wrote that, and then Mike Stone gets up to make his nominating speech and says, "We have, we a, have book. a book." Um, and so, you know, one. pretty united in in that. Guys that otherwise are in different, say, denominational political camps. I believe so, they're selling T-shirts now that say, "We have a book." Probably, maybe like founders or somebody. Yeah, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I think they're selling "We have a book" T-shirts, which I'm not saying I wouldn't wear that shirt, but anyway. Um. Take away from Africa. Uh, can we go back? Um, yeah, I'm ready to go back. If- take away from Africa. I took away some antibiotics uh, from Africa, thanks to my wonderful gut. All of us but Ryan almost died. All of us, yeah. Um, hey, Ryan, if you're listening, we really want to go back. Yeah, we do. And Adam, we're glad you're alive. Um, unlike that animal. Anyway, so sorry for any inside jokes on the podcast. But no, Africa was great. Um, it made me stretch. Uh my teaching, uh, teaching for that many hours a day, uh, for that many days. Um, I, I think it was pretty clear that I was the most nervous on the trip for teaching um, because every day was like sweating before I got up there. I just knew some of the questions that were going to come up. You know, you start dreading what could happen, and every time it happened, uh, and so we, we had some very interesting, very pointed and blunt conversations about points of doctrine that, um, you know, we experience here, but, but it's what they've been taught there in many ways, um, specifically the, the prosperity issue. Um, and also, I mean, egalitarian versus complementarian is, is a big issue there, too. Um, but it was a complete joy um, to, to teach those guys. I actually talked to one of the pastors last week, and he was asking was I coming back? Um, so, I mean, I'd love to, um, but I think it is just uh, encouraged me to want to teach more and more. And so I, I really loved that trip. And that was with uh, Didache Institutes, who is now a part of Heart Cry Missionary Society. So Ryan Bush led that trip. He's a professor at Grace Bible uh, Theological Seminary, a professor of missions. So, um, Excellent trip. What was your experience like? 
it's awesome. It was life changing. Um, I found out that monkeys will steal your beef stew if you yeah. don't keep a careful eye on it. Um, but yeah, one of the things I was reflecting on this actually a couple of days ago, um, not only in, in Africa, but some other missions opportunities that we've had, whether online or in person, um, I, I can think back to several years ago and, and especially coming here to a church six years ago now that had such a long history of missions, thinking, um, what kind of missions will the Lord, would the Lord allow me to be included in? And at least in this season of my life for the past several years, it's been, um, really neat to be involved in missions that are focused on training of pastors. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed that and, and getting to be a part of that. Um, Favorite book that you read this this year oh. since we last recorded, and you can't steal mine. Oh, well, I'm still reading that one because it's a long book. Oh, I'm gonna have to think about. It. You go ahead with yours. Let me Providence. Think about it. Providence yeah. by John Piper. Uh, Providence is is John Piper's magnum opus. He was born to write that book. It is it's wonderful. Um, it is gigantic, and yet I could not put it down. I finished it in the course of I believe it took me three days, if that, to finish it. Three um, days. Maybe that, maybe not even three that days. Yeah, I finished it fast. Seven hundred pages. Well, to be fair, I was recovering from back surgery, so I, I oh, true, couldn't okay. do time. literally anything but sit there and read. It was either read or watch TV, and TV made me motion sick. So reading it was. <laughs> um, Mine was probably Biblical Theology by John Owen. So old book, you know, um, but. Really good arguments. It was in the middle of the whole Aquinas, not Aquinas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are we with him? Are we not with him? Um, it does address some of that in Owen's book. Um, I thought that was very good. And the the other one that I, I still haven't finished it quite yet, but it's another a big book, uh, is Puritan Theology by Beakey. Um, has been a great book, especially the, the chapter... Uh, Related to Stephen Sharnock's views of the attributes of God, so you know, based off his big volume, um, which I have that volume as well. But I liked reading Beaky's breakdown of of his his arguments about the characteristics of God. So uh, those two were the big ones from last year. My big one so far this year is is Providence. I mean, it really is that good. So I read two Beaky books last year: Reform Preaching and Living for God's Glory, which mm-hmm. are also um, I, I've really gotten to enjoy Beaky's writing style. I like it a lot. So, uh, you know, several book recommendations if you're listening and looking for something to read. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So last time we recorded, um, about a year ago now, almost a year, uh, we were talking about fundamental foundational issues of the faith and specifically what becomes important to us from that historical Baptist perspective. We walked through inspiration of the scriptures, inerrancy, sufficiency, um, those sorts of things. But we also have been talking about, really for a couple of years now, since we first started, about doing a more detailed um, dive into uh, what we call 2DEP, which would be a historical Baptist soteriology boiled down into a similar five points as classic Calvinism versus Arminianism uh, and that that sort of thing. So uh, I, I thought we'd get started with that. Now, I know there's a, there may potentially be two of you who are uh, taking a class that I'm teaching on Sunday nights. And yes, this is going to be review. 
Um, so you may just, you know, you may be really disappointed because you've been waiting for a podcast episode and now you get one and you've heard me say all these things before, but, um, they haven't heard me. That's true. So they haven't heard your, your commentary on this. It won't be that, uh, earth shaking. (laughs) I, I thought, I thought it would be helpful for us to deal with some foundational issues before we start talking about, um, total depravity and just how wicked and wretched and awful we are as human beings. Um, maybe in the next episode. Um, but since we did some review, we'll talk just fairly briefly about some of these things and, and, and take it from there in the coming episodes. Um, sometimes we may ask, why are these doctrines worth studying? Why talk about soteriology? Um, sometimes I think we have an unhealthy appetite to talk about these things because they're controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our interest may be piqued by the controversy of it all. The better, far more biblical, and far less sinful reason to study these doctrines is that they help us understand better what God has done to save us. Mm-hmm. And when we rightly understand what God has done to save us, it results in worship. Yeah, um, I have. I found. You know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, you know, I, I can use the old joke as many can that I was, I was in a Southern Baptist church nine months before I was ever born. Um, I've been around Southern Baptist life my entire life, literally. And, um, I can say that when I began to study and understand the doctrines of grace, um, the, the depth of my appreciation for salvation, and it felt like my, even my personal relationship with God was so much deepened, not just by understanding these things, but by thinking on, meditating on these truths of the scriptures. So I think that's why people get cage stagey, uh, honestly, because they're... So if you're not familiar with the term, I know Paul Washer just released <laughs> a YouTube video, and I think it was on Instagram and Twitter uh, this week, too. Uh, I or was it Vody? I don't know. I'm not Maybe on Twitter. Voting. I think it was voting. <laughs> or, anyway, yeah. um, about what, what we mean by cage stage, that basically sometimes when you discover the doctrines of grace, you get so excited about it that you become a little militant. Um, and obnoxious. And, and obnoxious. And you have to correct everybody. And you basically try to convert everybody to an understanding of the doctrines of grace. And we ought to just put you in a cage until you get out of that stage. Yeah, until you calm down a little bit, fellas. Um, Some of you may be there. Um, Breathe. Please reach out for help. Uh, email, call. We'd be glad to help. <laughs> if you struggle with the issues spoken about in this podcast. In the arms of <laughs> In the arms of But no, seriously, like, get a bag to breathe in, okay? So you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But um, you were saying <laughs> that that okay. is what I was saying. So you covered. So that. let's let's start with some definitions. Apparently, Paul Washer or Vody covered it this week. Let's 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 talk some broad definitions. Reformed theology is, in essence, the theology coming out of the Reformation uh, in the 1500s. When when you hear someone talk about I'm reformed, or they talk about reformed theology, they basically mean that in some capacity they're subscribing to the theology of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um. Soteriology, which is what we'll talk about um, when we're talking about the doctrines of grace, is how salvation works. So under the broader umbrella of Reformed theology, which covers all manner of things, the sovereignty of God, um, our understanding of the scriptures, uh, soteriology is specifically what God has done to save us. Um, Amongst Reformed theologians, there was a man named John Calvin. 
Insert Baptist gasp here. <laughs> um, John Calvin's name has kind of been drugged to the mud in Baptist life for a long time. Uh, it ought not be. He's one of the most brilliant theologians that the Lord gifted to the church uh, in church history. Um, and uh, we should be thankful for him. People and, should and know that, that we also don't believe him to be infallible. Also correct. Um, we he we wasn't, don't agree with every point. Uh, with he, the unlike the Apostle Paul, was not inspired by the Holy Spirit as as he was writing. He didn't write. The institutes of the Christian religion are not scripture. Canon. Yeah, they're not canon. So. Anyway, so John Calvin taught theology, generally speaking, and part of that theology was his soteriology. Um, and then a guy named Jacobus Arminius, I think I'm pronouncing that name correctly, um, doesn't I like to think it's Jacobus just for fun. Perhaps uh, didn't like and agree with um, the soteriology of Calvin, and so he develops uh, five points of how he believes that that uh, soteriology ought to work: human free will, conditional election, universal atonement, resistible grace, and fall from grace. Um, Calvinism, as it's sometimes called, um, popularized by five points that contradicted Arminius's five points. Um, that term is kind of coined, and those five points are coined at the Synod of Dort. Um, Kevin DeYoung wrote a great book about the Synod of Dort. It's fairly short, super easy to read. Pick it up if you want to know more about the Synod of Dort itself and, and the theology that came out of that. But basically, this was the opportunity for... Um, more, let's say, classically Reformed theologians to counter the arguments that uh, Arminius had made. And the doctrines that they explained uh, got put into an acrostic and, and, uh, called tulip. So if you've seen Reformed guys with tulip tattoos or stickers on their uh, cars or, you know, their whatever, um, that's where tulip comes from. Uh, Again, it's it's a countering of Arminius' five points. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, I, I hesitate to talk about this part, but I think in the timeline it's helpful. Since about 1925, there's been what's called the traditional Baptist view uh, that became popularized especially again in the 50s and then again in the 90s and early 2000s. This traditional Baptist view was a rejection of Calvinism um, and Reformed theology in Baptist life, um, erring on the side of uh, free will and insisting that this, that uh, an understanding of soteriology needed to include uh, a, a, a heavier emphasis on free will. Mm -hmm. Okay, So that's the traditional Baptist view. <clears throat> the historic Baptist view, which is what we named Historical Baptist FC after, we've we coined the acronym TUDEP, or at least I think we were the ones to do it. Um, there are plenty of acronyms out there that may be better, but at, at the time we coined this, there was a, a song called was it the Get Up, and it started with Yes, gonna do the two step and the cowboy boogie, oh and we thought about a t-shirt that said, going to do the two-dip and the Baptist boogie. But then Taylor Ward never did that for us, and, and nope. so it just never happened. But anyway, we used two-dip, and I think... Hey, Taylor. I think, uh, I think this is fairly helpful. So we talk about total depravity, unconditional election, definite redemption, effectual calling, 
and preservation of genuine believers mm-hmm. would be so. And then when we talk about doctrines of grace from a historical Baptist perspective, we're referring to those five central doctrines in our understanding of soteriology. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to read the full document from which you could take a historical Baptist theology overall, the go-to document is the 1689 London Baptist Confession, which you have pulled I'm up looking on my phone. I have a cool leather-bound copy. Uh, on I have show. one of those. I also will, and I have this in book form, but you can also go to Founders uh, Ministries website. I think it's founders.org, and they have a modern yeah. English uh, version of the 1689. Which I really like the old one. I like the old one more, but if you have a hard time reading these um, and thous and yes, all the older this. English, it does uh, it does clean that up a good bit while remaining very faithful to it. That's fair, but my love for old English is indefatigable. <sighs> okay, moving on. All right, um, that's unable to be fatigued. In case anyone needs to know, I, I think the other thing worth mentioning is the five solas of the Reformation because yes. they serve as a guide for our understanding of soteriology. Those five solas being first sola scriptura, which we referenced a lot in in the last time we recorded. How does our uh, uh, favorite missionary say that? Sola scriptura. Tura. Um. Anyway, um, scripture alone. Um, Your favorite preacher says it's scriptura. That's very true. <laughs> Shout out to Stephen Lawson. All right. Um. Oh man, I lost my train of thought. Okay, so sola gratia. Uh, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. Mm-hmm. Those guiding principles, sort of five overarching themes coming out of, Ref- of the Reformation, that sort of summarizes the whole of Reformation theology. Yep. Because as we develop particular parts of our theology, including soteriology, we want to make sure it matches up with that. Is it derived from the scripture alone? Is the only way to be saved grace alone? Is the only right and required response faith alone in order to be justified? Is the only Savior Christ alone? And is the only one getting any credit God who alone is glorious? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those sort of serve as a guide for us. So um, the plan right now is that the next episode in 2024 will be about total depravity. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I was thinking, uh, like, what month are we in? Hopefully you it won't. threw me off for a second. Hopefully it won't take us that long to record. It's I won't, February 2nd. And maybe, like, I, maybe I won't threaten to retire this yeah. time and take an eight-month hiatus but uh anyway we'll plan to talk about total depravity next time and uh, sort of walk through two depth uh we'll probably do it in about an eight episode format yeah kind of like my class so yeah if you're taking my class sorry you'll hear it twice but at least you'll get heath's commentary so. yeah it's usually just side notes so congratulations uh, <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us we will be back for the next episode same bat time same bat place Goodness.